The Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Grace and mercy and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. There is no sugarcoating here, is there? This is no happy, touchy, feely pep talk that Jesus gives his disciples. He gives them the brutal, honest truth about what they're going to face as they go and do his work, as they go and proclaim the gospel. You're going to be persecuted. You will be arrested. You might even lose your life for the sake of me, for the sake of my gospel. I mean, these had to be some pretty sobering words for these disciples, right? And they might be sobering words for you today, too, because... They weren't just spoken to those 12 people standing around him that day. But these words echo down to us, to his disciples today, that Jesus isn't going to sugarcoat it. He's not going to give us this touchy-feely pep talk. You will face difficulty and suffering and persecution when you go and you preach Jesus Christ as Savior, when you go and share the gospel. The question today is, will you stand firm to the end, like Jesus calls us to do? 503 years ago, yesterday, a relatively unknown monk turned university professor in the town of Wittenberg, Germany, took 95 theses or statements that he had written out on a piece of paper and he nailed them to the church door there in Wittenberg. Martin Luther was looking for a debate because what he had seen start to happen in the church was making him very angry. They were selling forgiveness. They were taking these things called indulgences and selling them to the people for money where you could buy forgiveness for yourself or even for someone who had already died. And this angered Martin Luther because a few years before this, before he took that hammer and nails and that piece of paper to that church door at Wittenberg, 
where everyone was going to see it. That was the bulletin board of the day. There was no Facebook to post on. That you posted on the church door. Right? That's, and everyone would be coming that next day on November 1st, All Saints Day, they'd be coming there for worship. And everyone would see these statements here against these indulgences, the selling of forgiveness. Because a few years earlier, Martin Luther had been seeing God as only an angry judge. That God was someone who just wanted to punish him for his sins. And, and that you had to earn your righteousness and your right standing with God. But the Holy Spirit opened his eyes and his heart to see what the scriptures really said. That righteousness was not something that was earned, but it was something that was graciously given. That it wasn't about something you do, but about something that was already done through Jesus Christ his perfect life and his innocent death and his victorious resurrection is, and then received by faith, is the way that righteousness comes to human beings. And so when Martin Luther begins to see the errors of the church of his time, the false doctrines that are misleading people and giving them false hope, as they're purchasing their forgiveness, Martin Luther had to act. He couldn't stand by any longer. You understand why Martin Luther writes in that second article, explanation, that we're purchased from sin, death, and the devil, not with gold or silver, but with the holy, precious blood and innocent, suffering death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He had come to know this truth, and it was time for that truth to be unveiled to the church and to the people again. And Martin Luther wasn't looking for a revolution. He wasn't looking to break from the church or to even start his own church at all. He was wanting a debate. He was wanting a discussion on this important doctrine to happen. But that's not what he got. No debate happened. Instead, you know what he got? Ridicule? Persecution? Put on trial? The price of death put on his head. Do you think Martin Luther understood these words of Jesus here in our gospel lesson? Do you think they resonated with him? You're going to be handed over. You're going to be uh, put in prison. Right? You're going to face all these difficulties. Luther knew this firsthand. And, and so Luther, too, was faced with that Predicament. Do I stand firm to the truth? As Jesus exhorts all his disciples throughout history here in this gospel lesson. Are you ready to stand firm? That's very possible that you aren't going to face what Martin Luther did. You're going to have to stand up to the church of your day, right, and, and correct its errors. And where your life might be on the line. But friends, you're faced with situations, aren't you? Situations in your life where you have the choice to stand firm or to give in. When we gather here together, it's really easy and comfortable to confess our faith together, right? We confess our faith and we sing and we pray together. It's real easy to do among people that believe all the same things you do. But what about when you walk out these doors and you go back into the world? Sometimes it's not quite as easy, is it? What about 
with that friend who you know is living with someone they're not married to and they're having sex outside of marriage. And if you say something, you know exactly what they're going to say back to you. You know they're going to say, oh, come on, don't be such a stick in the mud. Everybody does it. We're not hurting anybody. We love each other. And knowing that if you say something, because you love that person and you want to speak the truth to them about how that's a sin and it's affecting their relationship with God, you know it's probably going to harm that relationship or maybe end it. So what do you do? Do you stand firm to the truth of God's word and speak that truth in love or do you just kind of pretend to ignore it and hope someone else says something? How about the neighbor who sees you leaving at the same time every Sunday morning, getting in your car and going to church? And they say to you at some time, they say, you don't really believe all of those things in the Bible, do you? I mean, that, that book that, that's thousands of years old, it's all just written by men. You really believe those things in there? You believe a virgin gave birth to a baby? You believe that God became a human being and came and lived here and died for us? You really believe all those crazy things? What do you do? You stand up for the truth of God's word, or do you just kind of, ah, I don't know, you know, I know, I'm not sure. What do you do? How about in the lunchroom at work? where religion comes up and your coworker is going off about, oh, you know, all religions are basically the same. They all, you know, teach really just a different path to God. We all are really worshiping the same God. You know those religions that teach that they're the only true religion and that there's only one way to heaven? Why are they closed-minded, aren't they? Who do they think they are that they've got the truth? And they turn to you and say, what do you think? You agree with me, right? What do you say? Do you say anything at all? Do you stand firm to the truth of God's word? Or what about with that relative of yours who at holidays just loves to jab at you and poke fun of that strict church that you belong to? You know, kind of, uh, your, your church is so old-fashioned, right? You still teach those things? Right? About abortion and homosexuality, that women can't be pastors? What's wrong with you people? Get with the times. It's 2020 already. What do you do? You stand firm in the truth and speak that truth? Or try to make excuses for what your church teaches? How about the students sitting in the public high school or university classroom? As the professor or teacher goes off on these people who believe in a six-day creation, these simple-minded people, don't they get science? And the students are joining in. What, what do you do? Do you let them have the only and final word? Or do you stand firm in the truth of what God's word says? We may not face a situation like Jesus' disciples did, being flogged and brought before rulers and councils and kings. We, we may not face a situation quite like Martin Luther did, as he was hiding for a long time for his life, put on trial, life in danger. But friends, we face these, these situations in our lives, right? 
if we hold to the truth of God's word, we will face these situations in our lives. And we shouldn't be surprised. Because Jesus, in his sobering, non-sugar-coated little talk here, tells us, doesn't he? He says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. It's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? Think of a whole wolf pack and a sheep going out in the middle of it all by itself. Jesus says that's what it's like when you go out into the world as my disciples, when you go out with my word. That's what it's like. Sheep among wolves. And those wolves are hungry, and they're ready to tear you apart. They don't care about your feelings. They don't care about your beliefs. Those wolves that seek to destroy you. And standing firm in what you believe it's going to cause those wolves to growl all the more. And they're a affordable enemy, aren't they? And really what's behind all of that is what Peter calls a lion. And we heard about a lion in both of our other lessons. You see how these all connect together here? Peter writes about this roaring lion who's prowling around looking for someone to devour. You know who that is? It's the devil. And you know who he's looking to devour? It's you. Satan loves nothing more for than you to come here and confess your faith. He's fine with that. Come in this building. Come into a safe space. Come into where you're comfortable with people you believe the same things. Do it all you want, but you go out there, he wants to have you for lunch. He desires to devour you, and he loves it when you hide that truth or you twist the truth. Satan loves that. That lion that we face, maybe not those physical lions like Daniel faced, but those spiritual lions and wolves that are out to attack us and to attack what we believe. That's what we're being sent out to. And Jesus talks about what it's going to be like. He says that brother is going to betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. These are all things that have happened in history. Families are going to turn on each other, right? When you hold to the word of God, there's going to be division in families. He says, too, that all men will hate you because of me. People don't want to hear what we have to say. They don't want to hear the truth, especially when it goes against the grain of what their sinful flesh wants and desires. That's if we say it. Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. I know Reformation is supposed to be the celebration. <laughs> We're supposed to be encouraged but we got to be real about the world we're living in today, the situation that Jesus describes for us. Are you ready to be hated? Are you willing to lose friends? Are you willing to give up everything to stand firm in that truth to the end? Or are you going to be more concerned about just being comfortable in this life? I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. It's a terrifying thought when you really begin to think about what that means for me as a disciple of Jesus. Until you remember who it is that speaks these words. This is the same one who in another place in the Gospels calls us sheep, but also calls himself the Good Shepherd. Where he says, I am the Good Shepherd. And I love my sheep so much that I am willing to lay down my life for my sheep. 
So Jesus is not giving us this kick you out the door, good luck, good riddance speech here. You're on your own. He says, I am your good shepherd. You are my sheep, and I love you so much that I was willing to take your place. I was willing to lay down my life so that you could have life, a purposeful life right now in this world, but also the promise of an eternal life with me forever. I am your good shepherd that knows what it feels like to be ridiculed and mocked and arrested and put to death for speaking the truth. Jesus himself knows what that feels like because he went through it for you and for me. This Jesus who was willing to go all the way to death, to be surrounded at that cross, as the psalmist says, not by lions or wolves, but he says by dogs. Dogs that de desired to devour his flesh and have their way with him, and in a sense they did. They got their way. He suffered on that cross, and he died for you and me. But at that cross, it looked like that prowling lion, the devil, was having his way, and he was going to win, but he would not. Because at that cross, as we just sang in that beautiful hymn, at that cross where we see love and mercy meet, and we see the Son of God stricken, there in that seeming defeat, we see victory. As Jesus cries out, it is finished at that cross, the devil's head was crushed. His teeth had been removed. He no longer has any power over us. Are we just saying that in a mighty fortress as well? In, in verse 3, he says, Though devils all the world should fill, all eager to devour us, we tremble not, we fear no ill, they shall not overpower us. This world's prince, the devil, may still scowl fierce as he will, but he can harm us none. He's judged, the deed is done, one little word can fell him. And I like to believe that that one little word that can fell the devil is the name of Jesus. Because he has been defeated at that cross. Jesus has defeated the devil for us. He no longer has any power over us. We're sent out like sheep among wolves, but we do not go alone. We go with the forgiveness and the peace and the life and the promises of our good shepherd who says, I'm there to protect you. I'm there to keep you safe against those wolves, against those who seek to devour you, so that you can live in my truth and speak my truth. This good shepherd Jesus who says that I lay down my life for my sheep, and then he says, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. He knows us, and he cares for us, and he protects us, and he says, I'm going to guard you and be with you, and I know what you need. I'm there to strengthen you with my means of grace, to come to you in that gospel and word and sacrament so you can stand firm in that truth. Friends, we're sent out like sheep among the wolves, but we don't go alone. We go with our good shepherd. We go with his power and his promises. We go knowing what he has done for us and what he promises to us. And he sends us with some instructions. Listen more to what our good shepherd Jesus says in this section. He says, because we're being sent out like sheep among the wolves, he says we're to be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. That word shrewd here, it, is, it really has the sense in the original of being wise. Live wise lives, like a snake, right? Snakes are wise. They're smart. Be like that. Be wise, right? You, it, Jesus here isn't saying you just let people walk all over you and... No, be wise. You can defend yourself with the truth of God's word. 
Right? Be shrewd as snakes, but at the same time be as innocent as doves. Because our goal in going is not to cause division, it's to bring peace. Our goal is not to go and sow more hatred in this world, it's to proclaim love. The love of God for sinners and love for one another. Right? We go shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves with this wonderful message of the gospel for all. I, I think that Peter wrote, wrote about what this looks like best, where he says this in 1 Peter 2. He says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So what do you do when you live with your neighbor or your coworker or your relative or whatever it is? Let your light shine for Jesus. Let them see your good deeds. Let them see who you are, that you are a sheep belonging to the good shepherd. That's what we get to go and be in this world. We get to go and stand firm in the truth, and we get to go and live the truths of God's word. Jesus also gives this instruction here in Matthew 10. He says, when you're persecuted in one place, notice he says when, he doesn't say if, when you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. And this isn't flee in, in, in fear. This is move on. Right? Your responsibility is to share the word of God, to speak the truth. It's not to convince that person. It's not to bring them to faith. That's God's job. What Jesus' instruction is telling us to do here is confess what you believe. Stand firm in that truth. Plant that seed and let God grow it. Go on. Move on. Third instruction he gives here to those he sends out. He says, They will be handed over to local councils and flogged in synagogues on his account. They would be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And when that happens, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Jesus says you don't have to worry. You might never be brought before an actual court to have to confess your faith. More likely, it's a jury of your peers in the lunchroom or at the family gathering. And to know that God promises he will give you his spirit to give you the words to say. On April 17, 1521, Martin Luther has already been excommunicated by the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, Pope Leo X has already declared he's banned. But Charles, Emperor V, still wants some peace in his empire. And so he wants to give Martin Luther one more chance. And so he brings him before a council called the Diet of Worms. This is almost four years after he posted those 95 theses on that church door. And they bring Luther before this, before this council. And they have 25 of his books laying on the table in front of him. And he's asked the question, are these books yours? And Luther says nervously, almost inaudibly, yes. And then he's asked, will you recant them? And Luther's answer on that day? He didn't have one. <laughs> he asked for more time. And they gave him one more day. They gave him 24 hours. The next day, same situation. Standing before that table, and they ask, are these your books? And Luther says yes. And then they ask, will you recant them? And this was Martin Luther's response. 
unless I am refuted and convicted by testimonies of the scriptures or by clear arguments, I am conquered by the holy scriptures quoted by me, and my conscience is bound in the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, since it is unsafe and dangerous to do anything against the conscience. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Do you think that was Martin Luther that day, who was so strong and so brave and so confident that he could stand up in the face of maybe losing his life and being banished to make that confession? He was shaking like a leaf. But his strength and his confidence, as he says, is God help me. That he found the ability to stand firm in these truths from his faithful God, who was his refuge and strength, his ever-present help in trouble. And friends, that statement changed the history of the church. That statement really changed the entire history of the world. You may never have that opportunity <laughs> to change the history of the church, much less the history of the world, but yet the promise that Jesus, Jesus made to Martin Luther that strengthened him on that day to stand firm in the truth is the same promise that he makes to you. That we can stand firm to the end. That we can stand firm in those truths that have been preserved for us throughout these ages. These truths of God's holy word. To stand firm in the faithful promises of our faithful God. And Jesus says here to stand firm so that in the end we can be saved. To know that he is with us. To know that he is there to give us courage. To strengthen us in our weaknesses. As we sang that truth earlier. He, God, is by our side upon the plain. With his good gifts and spirit. And do what they will. The rest of the world. Hate, steal, hurt, or kill. Though all may be gone. Our victory is won. The kingdom is ours forever. Friends, cling to this truth. Stand firm in this truth. And be ready to go and proclaim this truth to a world that needs to hear it. Lord, keep us faithful to the word that reveals to us and to all people that we are saved by grace alone. And that's received by faith alone. And it's all through the work of Christ alone. And it's revealed through the scriptures alone, all to the glory of God alone. May God grant that to us. Amen.